be reading God's word together. Um, today's Bible reading is from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, um, which is on page 874. <laughs> John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took out took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished watering their feet, sorry, washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, should, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Wendy. Good morning, everybody. So we're starting a new series, uh, well it's a really a continuation of the series of John which we've been working through um, with, with bits in between um, for a little while and we come to the last part of John which is chapters 13 to 21 and as we'll see through this section Jesus turns his, turns his head and his focus, his heart towards Jerusalem and the cross and that becomes more and more into focus as we go along. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word today. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of John. Uh, we thank you how it points us towards Jesus, um, what he has done for us and his example to us. And we pray today that, as Jesus explicitly says, that in washing the disciples' feet, he gives an example that we are to follow, that you would help us to have heads and hearts that would understand that and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Picture a young man in the 1980s. I know it's a long time ago. 
Long hair, no dress sense. T-shirt that clashed with yellow and white shorts that advertised a Thai brand of beer. An art student, so nothing better to do with his day other than loiter around coffee shops on campus. And to complete the picture of the directionless history major, this student went around everywhere without the benefit of anything between his toes and the ground. Starkers from the ankles down, barefoot. A little bit like, not to pick on anyone, uh, but Trevor Luo and uh, Anthony Ellingham, minus the thongs and with less dress sense. Now, I was living with my grandparents at the time. My very prim and proper grandmother put up with a lot of things from me. Studying a course that qualified me to ask, would you like fries with that burger that you're buying? Wearing those yellow and white beer shorts. But leaving the house each morning, apparently having forgotten my shoes, was just too much for her. It just wasn't right. And she wasn't alone either because each morning as I got on the train at Chatswood to come to Sydney Uni, I would get disapproving glances from those suits and respectable middle-class commuters in their leather shoes. That's because in our culture, feet are considered to be one of the least respectable parts of our body. We usually cover them up, don't we? At least when we go outside. And in many cultures, we keep, it's important to keep our feet away from people. We keep them out of the way. That was the case for Jewish culture in Jesus' day. Feet were considered dirty, smelly, not appropriate to be displayed in public. But in today's passage, Jesus completely ignores the expectations of polite society and does something that would have been shocking and even shameful for someone in his position. He washes his disciples' feet. He lays aside his reputation, his dignity, his position for his disciples' sake, and we'll see for our sake as well, to show how much he loves us. And we'll see that washing his disciples' feet also points towards a greater act of love and sacrifice for our benefit, where Jesus shows us his love in the greatest way possible. And then finally, we'll look at how Jesus calls us to follow his example and what that means for us. We've got three points uh, in your bulletin if you like to follow along uh, and if you'd like to make notes. Um, the first point is that Jesus strips off. Why isn't this working? There we go. Is that. Um, one more. Jesus strips off to wash our feet. So we'll be working. The three points correlate to basically three parts of the passage. Uh, so the first section is in verses 1 to 5. The scene is that Jesus is, is seated with his disciples, about to eat what has become known as the Last Supper. John, in verse 1, includes a bit of information about when this occurs. 
that we might not think is all that relevant to the story. Have a look at verse 1 with me. It was just before the Passover festival. Whenever we come across a seemingly random piece of information, like that in the Bible, it usually has some significance. And that is the case here. We'll come back to that. Picture the scene. Jesus and his disciples are reclining on couches, about to eat this last supper. Their feet are pointed away from the table, as Pete mentioned last week, um, that because feet are considered to be um, impolite to have in public society, to be seen, to be near food, they were facing away from the, the table. Suddenly, Jesus gets up from his position on the couch and he takes off his clothes. He puts a towel around his waist. What's going on here? wondered his disciples. This wasn't expected. This wasn't normal. This was actually pretty cringy. This was embarrassing. This was shocking. You see, normal, respectable people in this culture didn't go around wearing only a towel. Only servants did that. And only the very lowest servants at that. But it gets worse because Jesus then gets a basin and water and he proceeds to kneel down before the feet of his disciples. He gets out a washer and the water and proceeds to wash those dirty, stinky feet. He did what the disciples themselves would never dream of doing for each other or for anyone else. No self-respecting Jew would do that. That was a job for the lowliest servant. Some Jews even said that no Jewish servant should even have to wash the feet of another Jew. That that was, left, that that was the job that should be left for foreigners as the very lowliest job that could, they could do. But here was Jesus, their Lord and Master, doing the unthinkable. No one knew where to turn. As usual, it was Peter who speaks up. He said that, that what they were all thinking. Lord, you aren't going to wash my feet, are you? Then Jesus replies that you don't understand what you're saying, Peter. You don't understand what I'm doing for you now. But later you will. Then typical Peter speaks again speaks before he thinks and says, okay, Lord, wash, wash everything, my head, my hands as well. No, no, says Jesus, you're clean. Someone who's clean only needs to have their feet washed. So Jesus finishes washing the disciples' feet, puts his clothes back on and then takes his position back at the table. He looks around at his disciples. They're still trying to work out what's, what's just happened. Do you realise what I've done for you? He asks them. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet also. An amazing, shocking episode. We lose the effect of it, don't we, because we've heard it before. Some of us have heard it many, many times. So we kind of become inoculated to the, to the impact of it. 
But the, for the disciples, even though they've been with Jesus for three years, what Jesus did would have turned their world upside down, unsettled them, shaken them. What sort of teacher and master behaves like this? What sort of point is he trying to make? Completely overturning the way things were supposed to work in the world. Well, let's dig a little deeper uh, and see what we can learn. I want to come back to verse 1, remember, that we had a look at at the beginning. The Passover feast. A bit of background here is helpful. The Passover was a festival that the Jews celebrated ever since the time of Moses. It celebrates God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. God was about to bring one last plague on, on Pharaoh and the Egyptians to force them to, to let the people go out of Egypt and go to the promised land. He told, God tells Moses, gives the instructions for each Israelite family to kill a lamb and to take the blood from that lamb and put it on the doorpost of their houses. Then when an angel comes to kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians, the angel would see the blood on the doorpost of each Israelite house and pass over that household, sparing that, sparing that house and ultimately forcing the Egyptians to let the people go out of slavery, out of Egypt and to go to the promised land. Their children were saved and Pharaoh let them go out of slavery. Now right from the beginning of John's Gospel, we're introduced to this idea of the Passover lamb and Jesus is connected with that lamb. Back in chapter 1 of John, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And here in chapter 13 is another connection with what happened on that first Passover with Jesus. Specifically, we're given some hints that Jesus was about to do something monumental, something that was a climax to his whole ministry, his whole time on earth, that was connected to this Passover lamb and connected to its blood, remember the blood on the door, that somehow that blood would save God's people that it would deliver people from slavery. And so have a look with me at the rest of verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's a hint here that what John is talking about here isn't just washing the disciples' feet but something greater that's wrapped up in him leaving the world. Something that would be the ultimate expression of his love. Then in verse 2, John tells us that the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Jesus betray sorry, yeah, Judas's betrayal put into motion the events that led to Jesus' arrest and sham trial and finally to his execution on a Roman cross. So I think what John is doing here is subtly focusing on the death of Jesus at the same time as he's introducing the story of the washing of the disciples' feet. 
He's helping us to see that there's a connection between these two events. And there's more. Have a look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. I want you to look carefully at that connection between verses 3 and 4. The technical term for it is that there's a causal link between the two phrases. In other words, because of the things in verse 3, Jesus knowing that all things are under his power and that he is from God and will return to God, because of that, then he got up from the meal and started taking off his clothes, preparing to wash the disciples' feet. Do you see that? Now, it seems like a bit of a strange connection, doesn't it? Knowing that Jesus has all of God's authority, and so he strips down and puts a towel around him. What's the connection? We'll come back to that in a minute. But first, let's think about what Jesus is doing in this room with his disciples. Once again, I think it's got to do with the foot washing pointing to Jesus' death. Jesus knew he had to die because only he could pay for our sins. Only he was fully human and fully God. Because he understood his identity and authority that God the Father had given him. Because of that, he was crystal clear about his mission to save the world through his death. I want to suggest that Jesus stripping off his clothes is also a reference to him choosing to strip himself of his power and privilege and authority as God so that he could come to earth for us and go to the cross. And it's a choice that's spelled out in a passage in the book of Philippians that I want to look at. No need to turn to it, it's here on the screen. Let's, let's have a look at this passage from Philippians chapter 2. Je- talking about Jesus. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Can you see some of the links in it, uh, with the language between this passage and John, John 13? Being a servant, choosing to take off that authority, to leave that authority behind. Both passages tell us that Jesus, um, tells us Jesus knew he had God's authority, but he made that choice to make himself nothing. He wasn't the victim of circumstance. Um, yes, he was, in, at one level he was the, invic- the victim of injustice and a sham trial. But over that was the reality behind that, that it was Jesus' choice all along to go to the cross, to lose his authority, to lose his rights, to lose his dignity. He chose humility and shame. He chose to strip off and become a servant. 
And so this act of washing the disciples' feet was Jesus demonstrating how much he loved his disciples, how far he was willing to go to serve them. And it, and it, and it also pointed towards something that was even more significant, the ultimate act of love, that he would lay down his own authority and position as king of the universe so that he could go to the cross. Not just for his disciples, but for the whole of humanity. And that includes you and I. So that's the big picture of what's going on in here, in this scene in the upper room. But let's come back to Jesus and his disciples in the room. After Jesus begins to wash their feet, we saw that Peter is the one who speaks up in protest. And that's our second point. Peter says, don't wash my feet. Verses 6 to 11. In verse 7, we saw, that, we saw before that Jesus tells Peter that he may not understand the foot washing now, but he will later. Then have a look at Peter's reaction in verse 8. You shall never wash my feet. Then Jesus replies, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. Peter was embarrassed. Imagine being in his position. How awkward it would have been to have Jesus kneeling in front of him, knowing how stinky and dirty his feet were. But I think there's something else going on here. I think there's an element of pride as well. Because, you see, it takes humility to let people serve us, doesn't it? One time I was travelling in northern China. Um, I love climbing mountains. And I scouted out this mountain called Huashan near the city of Xi'an in Shanxi province. It's a decent peak, just about 2,400 metres. And I set out with two friends to do a day walk up this mountain. About half an hour into the climb, as often happens in China, someone came up to us uh, offering to take my pack in exchange for some money. Um, he was a persistent bloke. Uh, he, we, we said no initially, but he kept persevering, walked with us for about an hour before he, he gave up. Um, he was persistent, but I was equally persistent in saying no. Uh, for two reasons. One is that I'm stingy and I didn't want to have to fork out the moolah, it wasn't that much, to, to have someone carry my pack. But I think another reason and perhaps the, the bigger factor for me was my pride. This guy was weedy, I mean even weedier than me and smaller. Uh, I wasn't going to have him carry my pack for me up this mountain. I wasn't going to be helpless before someone else and say, no, I can't do this. I was too proud to let him carry my pack. The idea of needing someone's help to serve us is a challenge to our pride. And that was part of Peter's response, I think. He couldn't have his Lord serve him like that. But Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And here we have something that's very common in John's Gospel. Jesus and Peter are talking on two different levels. Peter thinks that it's all about using water to wash off the dirt off his feet. 
But Jesus now uses washing as a metaphor, as a symbol for what he would do on the cross. And of course, Peter, Peter can't understand that at this time. But it was a metaphor for Jesus, what Jesus would do to wash away Peter's sin by his blood as the Passover lamb. He would become the Passover lamb who would save Peter, the disciples, and all who have believed in him from being destroyed because of their sin, their uncleanness. Well, we've seen that Peter responds with his usual exuberance. Okay, Jesus, um, if you need to wash me, wash my head and my hands and everything. But then in verse 10, Jesus says that someone who has had a bath only needs to have their feet washed because their whole body is clean. Again, they're clean because Jesus has washed their sins away by his blood. This section can be a bit confusing because Jesus kind of um, goes backwards and forwards between these two different meanings of washing, doesn't he? There's a metaphor, washing clean their sin, but the foot washing is a literal washing of the feet with water. Peter, you are clean, your sins are forgiven because of what I'm about to do, but I still need to wash your feet with this water. Why does Jesus insist on that? Why does he insist on Peter physically having his feet washed if he's already clean? I think it's about being willing being humble to let Jesus serve him. In a sense, Jesus is pointing towards the cross and saying, you need to let me do this for you because it points forward to me doing something far greater for you. As we've seen, of course, Peter had no idea at the time, but Jesus was saying that unless he could accept that ultimate act of sacrifice, that act of service, unless he admitted his need for Jesus to ultimately die for him, then he could have no part of Jesus. And friends, I want you to to ask you to think carefully about Jesus' words here to Peter because he is also speaking to you and I. No matter who you are, no matter what your position in life is, your background, your circumstances, each one of us sits here in Peter's place. We all need to be washed by Jesus. We have all, each and every one of us, sinned against God. We are all unclean. We have all made God our enemy. And without being washed clean and forgiven by Jesus' blood on the cross, There is no hope for us. We stand condemned by God. We stand as his enemies. Now, if you're in the position today of not having trusted in Jesus' death on the cross to forgive your sin, you need to make a choice. Are you willing to let go of that pride and admit that you need Jesus? Now, I understand that you may well be feeling a bit like Peter. You may be resisting accepting what Jesus has done. 
And as Christians as well, we can do the same. Yes, we're forgiven by Jesus, but we, in our pride we can resist being helpless and continuing to need his help on a day-by-day basis. Because it confronts our pride, doesn't it? We need to acknowledge that we are in a hopeless position without his help. It's very humbling to have to admit that we're helpless without him. But that's a reality, friends. If that's you today, if you're still in the position of never having accepted what Jesus has done for you, I urge you not to go away today without seriously having without seriously confronting what Jesus is saying to you and seriously thinking about the decision that you need to make. Will I refuse him and insist on going it alone or will I let go of that pride and admit that I need him? Well, Peter moves on from his discussion with Peter. Sorry, Jesus moves on. He finishes washing their feet, he puts his clothes back on and resumes his position at the table. And then he turns to his disciples and he calls for a response from them or he gives them a command and that's our third point. To follow Jesus and to get dirty. That's that's what Jesus tells his disciples to do as I have done for you, you are to do for each other. Look with me at verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 16. Very truly I tell you no master is greater than his ma- no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus tells them that if it's good enough for him as their Lord and Master, it's certainly good enough for his disciples and it's good enough for us as well. Jesus wasn't just talking to the 12 disciples in the room. He was giving this command to every believer across time, everyone who claims to follow Jesus. So what does that mean for us today? What does it mean to take seriously Jesus' command to wash each other's feet? Let me start by saying what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we follow Jesus in what he did to the cross. We know that only he could die for the sins of the world. Only he was qualified to do that. Uh, Only he was fully, fully God and fully man. So it must be referring to, the, to him physically getting down and getting dirty as he physically washed the disciples' feet. So it doesn't mean literally that we take out a bucket of water maybe after, after we do communion, we bring out the bucket um, and we wash one another's feet. Maybe. And that certainly wouldn't be a bad way to practice being humble in, in serving one another. But I think it's actually useful to try to understand the attitude that motivated Jesus' actions because that's what he really wants to see in us. There's lots we could say about Jesus' attitude but I want to focus on two things 
that I think we can see behind Jesus' actions. And one, the first one, is a willingness to look to the needs of others regardless of personal cost. A willingness to look to the needs of others regardless of the cost. Now, I just said that um, Jesus didn't mean that we are to follow him to the cross. But even though the cross was still in the future when Jesus said these words, the, the very close future, but still the future, the cost of his humiliation and death can't be separated from the command that he gives his disciples. It's the ultimate example of Jesus' love. The foot washing points towards it. Love for us costs Jesus his life. We are to love and to serve one another with that same kind of love that puts no boundaries on how far we go for each other. That doesn't say, I will love uh, my CG members this far, but I will go no further. It's a love that doesn't put boundaries on how far we go for each other. And the second attitude that Jesus showed was a willingness to lay aside his reputation, his rights, even his dignity for the sake of others. And so he willingly stripped off his clothes and went around in a towel washing the disciples' feet, looking like the lowliest servant. And then only a matter of hours later, he willingly allowed himself to die the death of the most despised criminal in the Roman system of government. Putting aside his rights, putting aside his position, putting aside his dignity. He didn't consider the dirtiest, most humble act of service to be beneath him. Are you willing to do the same? Am I willing to do the same? Think of the most unpleasant job that nobody wants to do. If it needs doing, are you willing to roll up your sleeves and get stuck in? If you go to the loo, to the bathroom after the service and you see that the toilets haven't been cleaned for six weeks and that they need cleaning, are you willing to get stuck in and grab the toilet brush and the toilet duck? Give it a good old clean, even though you're not on the roster. When you go into the kitchen and you see that there's a mess that's been left there, that because no one knows how to clean it up or it's too dirty to clean up. Are you willing to quietly grab some, toilet, some paper towel and give it a good old clean? Well, maybe it's a person rather than a messy job. That person who everybody politely avoids because they talk too much. It's hard to get away from. Or they're slightly embarrassing to be around. Or they're so needy that you just come away exhausted each time you try to talk to them. Are you willing to serve them? To put their needs ahead of your own, regardless of personal cost? Jesus said that he has set us an example, that we at Southwest Evangelical Church 
Each Sunday we meet. Each CG that we attend. Each social we go to. Each time we have lunch together after the service. Each time we are with, with, with friends outside the church or family. He set an example for us that we should do as he has done for us. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's costly. For Jesus, it was more so. But Jesus leaves us with a promise, doesn't he, in verse 17. At the end of verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen.